righty. Good afternoon to you, Stock Showdown audience. It is January the 25th, 2022, a rather frigid day here in the States. Uh, our guest, <laughs> who originally, um, I guess, hails from Ireland, but then uh, has, has been rooted in Cana uh, the Canadian borders, uh, was very smart to leave the borders of Canada to head to where he is now. They're somewhere in the Caribbean. So um, much jealous there. Uh, Mr. Patrick Noel Daly. Uh, so I'd like to welcome back for a second time, Patrick Noel Daly to the Stock Showdown podcast. A pleasure to have him back here on the Stock Showdown podcast. So welcome back, Patrick. Hey, William. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, good to connect again. Uh, so Patrick, life is good there in the Caymans. And it, I mean, obviously, what allows you to take you know, a period of time from the Canadian border there and head down to the beautiful Caribbean and spend some time there in the Cayman. So what allows you to do that and shed some light upon my, my high school audience, because I'm sure they like myself are rather jealous of, of being able to do that. So please, how do you do it, Patrick? I guess it's a big advantage of, of working remotely. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, and I've always been traveling. So once I have a laptop, Top Wi-Fi and my phone. I guess I can be anywhere in the world. You know? That's the, the reality of it. And I'm lucky to be able to do that. It, I, I think nowadays, though, particularly post-COVID, let's call it post-COVID, um, people that that remote working environment, that work, remote working spaces where we where we can work from. Um, obviously, some jobs you need to be, you know, in the office or on the ground, nine to five or whatever. Um, but luckily, I uh, I can work remotely. So yeah, taking in some, uh, taking in some sunshine down here and uh, enjoying this for a while. <laughs> now, um, you know, like, look, and maybe I'll, I'll get your opinion on this. I, I really thought that we as a society were continuing to evolve. And I mean, I, I just kind of like use like, you know, whatever, Uber and Lyft as maybe some of the examples, DoorDash, where we were shifting anyways to a more digital society. I think COVID, and you can shed light on this if you agree or disagree, um, kind of exasperated it and accelerated the um, the working remotely and, and all this digitization of the, I guess, gig economy. Um, I mean, would you agree or disagree to that statement? I totally agree. Um, I was in the Netherlands a few years ago, maybe before COVID came around, maybe about six months, a year before COVID came around. And I was asked the question, you know, what's the, what do you see as the kind of future working environment? And I said, I think, you know, for us, it's really important that people just get to do their jobs, irrespective of where they are. You know, we got to trust each other to get the job done. Um, and the point I made was, I don't care if somebody is working at, you know, whatever time of the day or night, as long as the job gets done at the end of the week, and everybody's working a reasonable amount of time and getting some quality of life as well as the, the results for work. But to answer your question, the que a secondary question was asked in, well, what do you see as the future for work? And I said, I think it's going to be like remote. It's going to be freelancing. I think it's going to be, you know, gigging. The gigging economy is huge. I think there's a number like 59, 60 million people in the US alone are doing some form of gigging, whether it's part-time or, or full-time. And um, so I think that's going to be the future. I didn't think it was going to be two years or less, you know, maybe a year away. Uh, I thought it was going to be like maybe a five-year window from three year, two and a half, three years ago. But like COVID has definitely accelerated that. Um, but I guess the, the checking factor here is, or the kind of counterbalancing factor is, 
it's it, it is I don't think it's it's any harm. I think it's a good thing. You know, like I said, quality of life is important. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. If you can get up in the morning at 6 a.m. or 8 a.m., whatever time, and just get your work done, and you're finished by 12, then that's a good place to be. You know, you can just go off for the afternoon and recreation and enjoy yourself, enjoy the afternoon, and then catch up in the evening again if you have to. Um, and that kind of environment I've always worked in. I love it, actually, the flexibility, I guess, of startup, but also remote working and flexible working is super important for me. Now, with that being said, do you think that there's going to be a generation, not a generation, but a, a significant segment of the market that kind of gets left behind, refuses to adapt um, uh, to this new way of, of working? Um, and obviously, <laughs> I don't think you can refuse for too long. I mean, you got you to gotta put food on the table. Right. Um, I don't think it's going to be a lack of, uh, of adaptation or adapting to the new way. I think it's the adjustment factor that needs to happen. You know, people are going to have to adjust to it. Eventually, like I said, you've got to put food on the table. It's a job. It's something, it's work that we need to do. Um, so managing it in a way that is kind of, you know, a win-win scenario where, where you're getting the job done, but you're also, you know, balancing your life out or balancing your day out in terms of the work and life balance um, because that's super important you know for me i worked way too long in the early years for you know 15 16 sometimes eight hours a day when i started out i had i was doing a full-time job that was like from seven in the morning up to 3 30 in the afternoon then i jump into my selling suit as i call it and i head out to um sell autolink which is the car sourcing search engine that i set up um, it was probably a year and a half, two years before Google came around. So <laughs> I've been around a while, but in the mid nineties, I set that up and I was really, um, wanted to get into that. I was, I was young, I was hungry. I wanted to test this idea, but I was also going to college by night. So I was doing like from seven to 10 was, was the college time. I did a business degree at night and I was four years. So like that was 16, 18 hour days. The point I'm trying to make is that I'm not a superhero when it comes to doing that. You know, that's very much kind of busy life. Uh, I enjoyed it when I was doing it, but it, it's doable as long as you can manage your day um, accordingly. If you kind of manage it easily and set it out and say, this is what I want to achieve. This is the amount of time that I'm going to do it. This is where I want to be at the end of this month, six months, year, whatever time frame. then that's all doable. Um, but jumping back to the, to the adjustment factor, um, how is society going to adjust? How is work society going to adjust? I think everybody in any organization or any company or any business has to look at the new environment that we're in and say, how can we get best from this? What, how can we get that win, 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 you know? Right. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. uh, and that everybody is kind of like in a, maybe a better position from, um, from the point of view of, of the economic return or financial return, but also uh, business stability, getting the job done. Um, and then general well-being, you know, because one of the things that came out of COVID was people were just locked in their houses for long periods of time. And when we were in lockdown, you know, that's not great for mental health. Um, but if we have the opposite, which is like a level of flexibility of freedom, then, you know, we can adjust our life according to the way we want, to some degree, the way we want to live our lives, you know. And uh, I think that's a big advantage with that new work environment. People, will, people are in there now, they're following. Uh, I think the newer generations, more most recent generation, I've gone to Arianet already. You know, they were they were in this before COVID came around. Um, 
and the previous generations are, are, are catching up rapidly and readjusting. Yeah, I mean, I teach high school students, uh, as you know, and, you know, I'm a father of four. And I just feel like these kids kind of like growing up with the Internet um, and, and social media and having a phone, uh, basically having the Internet in the palm of your hand 24-7. I feel like they're going to be just fine. I feel like this is they they know how to do this. And when we had to go learn virtual two years ago. It, I mean, there was, I guess, you know, a learning curve and some struggles, but like, it just seems like they have adapted and they've grown accustomed to this is the way that it, it could possibly be in the future of a workplace. Yeah, definitely. It's second nature. You know, and that's a great thing. That's the way it should, uh, that's the way it should be in my view. Um, obviously, as I said, people have to report for work, physically be at work in some roles and some jobs. And that's a reality. That's a fact of life. But if that's not the case, then flexibility should be a should be a, a kind of a, a forerunner. You know, should be head of the head of the list. So aside from uh, and, and you have uh, you know for your many years of um, educating and uh, you know being an entrepreneur, and I, I have to uh, tout your tout your accomplishment of being um, voted as the young entrepreneur of the year over in Ireland. Is that correct? Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, back in 1999. Um, I got that badge. <laughs> so the badge of honor there. So uh, Absolutely. I know you're not saying that you're a superhero, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, um, you know, as we transition into, again, this new way of, of, of life, this new way of working, what kind of ingredients, key ingredients does a successful startup need to possess, uh, again, to ensure that long-term success? Well, that's a really great question. Um, first and foremost, from a people perspective, enthusiasm. You've got to be enthusiastic. you got to just, if you're going to go into it, go all in. You know, just put your, I'm not saying you bet the farm. I'm not saying you put all of your money in. I'm not, this is about an intent. This is about ambition. This is about drive. This is about what do I want to do? Do I want to bring it from something, to, uh, from nothing to something? Uh, and what's involved in that? So commitment, I guess, is, uh, is there as well. Enthusiasm, commitment, and then from the business point of view, or from the product, let's say, or service point of view, differentiation. Why are you different to the competition? What gives you value, and why will a customer give you their money versus the competition? What makes it different? And if you can kind of, in my experience, I would always do that at the very beginning. If we were launching a new product, if I came up with a new product uh, or a new business, I'd look at it and say, okay, is there a gap in the market? Let's Let's see what we can do with that. Is there a market in the gap? You know, is it worth going after? Um, because sometimes product or service innovators will look at it and say, you know what, uh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go with it. They don't actually run the numbers. You know, is there is there a market out there? Is there a, a, an adequate or a sufficient number of people that are going to give you their money for your product or service? Because then it becomes more of a business and actually takes the stress level down. Because you've got a bigger audience, you've got a bigger market. The bigger the market, the better it is. Um, now, you have to be careful as well. So going back to the differentiation factor, if you have a product that you say like, okay, 7.8 billion people on the planet, you know, 50% of them are, are potential customers. Uh, I'm going to whittle it down to 2%. That's a big number in its own right. But how many competitors are in that space? If you've got a bunch of people going after the same uh, pie, 
uh, in terms of market. Uh, and if you don't have anything that is significantly different or at least sufficiently different to get you the business versus your competitor, you could be climbing uphill for a very long time and just wasting time and money. And it really is about planning. It's about initial stages. Um, people say with entrepreneurs as well, they say, well, do you take risks all the time? We take risks, but we take calculated risks. We're not going to, you know, throw everything on the table and say, I'm all in, there you go. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to put all my chips on this. That's not the way I do business, at least. And it's not the way I would advise people to do business. You'd look at it and say, first of all, how much do I have to invest? How much time is it going to take? How much effort is it going to take? Who is it going to take? What kind of team do I need? And if it all goes wrong, if it hits the fan, then what's the safety net? Do I go to a job? Do I go back to basics? Um, uh, or do I just, you know, kind of sit down and, and review or learn and review and go at it again and try again? So all those questions, I think, is really important in the, the initial stages for anyone getting into any kind of business is to just plan it. Take your time. Look at it. And I know I said on the post last week that patience, um, you know, don't be too patient. I think the patience factor is necessary when you're planning because once you're planning properly, once you're getting to a stage where, you know, you've, you've got it mapped out, you know where you're at, you know what the map is in your head, then you hit the go button, then it's full on and it's full power all the way um, until you get it to a success level or as I call it, until you bring it above the waterline because typically startups, unless they have ample funding, they have bunches of funds and you know, support, financial support and uh, everything behind them, which is extremely rare. Um, they're kind of like struggling in the initial stages, particularly in the first year. And I don't want to discourage any, anybody or dishearten anyone. But like I said, plan out what your roadmap is going to be. Plan out what you need. If you think you need, let's just pick a number. You think you need 100,000, ask for 200,000, ask for 250. Um, if you're going to seed investors for example or pre-seed investors if you're going to friends and family to fund the business if you're going to a bank manager that's what you're looking for you know you want to put in safety nets you want to plan for the best case the expected case and the worst case scenario and i think really in kind of global summary that's a very long way to say i think planning is key couldn't say it better myself um i think what there's a old saying out there most businesses don't fail to, or no, excuse me. Most businesses don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Or going back to my Irish heritage, kids <laughs> are, uh, let's, a carpenter might say, uh, measure twice and cut once. <laughs> so <laughs> you would kind of like, it's all about just making sure you've got your ducks in line before you take off. And if you do that, if you put the time into it, then it's well worth doing. Oh, that's perfect. Because I, I got to then shout out and plug my, uh, my technical school and the carpentry department uh, under the tutelage of Mr. Howard Drake. I, I'm sure he's probably said that numerous times to his students, measure twice, cut once. So most likely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. And um, right. so let's get this straight. Um, let's again, trying to address, and again, selfishly, um, as a, I'm trying to be a budding entrepreneur. Um, and like you said, you know, finding that safety net and the safety net, <laughs> I guess you could say is having a, a pretty stable position as an educator, um, you know, with, with great benefits. And I, I love what I do. Um, I do have a passion 
for what I do, but I also have other passions outside of the realm of education. Now, for someone like me, who's, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna date myself here uh, and give my, <laughs> disclose my age. I mean, my students probably have already figured it out, but nevertheless, um, what kind of advice or, or funding options would you have for, I guess, best case scenarios for startups who already kind of, again, have that safety net? Would you recommend financing through a bank? Would you finance the startup uh, through investors, fan, from fans and friend, friends and family? What would be your suggestions um, in, a, in a case like that? The great thing that's happened in the last 10 years is the ecosystem for entrepreneurs has changed dramatically. Um, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of incubators, accelerators out there right now that will take on ideas that would look at your idea that will give you the kind of ecosystem that you need to be with him for a six month, 12 month period. And you can get your idea tested, evaluated, and you can go in there. And in many cases, there's um, a financial element to that as well, where they'll give you like maybe a, I don't know, I'm going to pick a number, but it could be 25 grand or something like that, where you're in the accelerator. Or in, if it's very early stage, if it's purely concept, then that's going to be an incubator. If you're later stage, that's you've proven the concept, and that could be an accelerator. So there's a lot of like structures out there in the world nowadays um, that weren't there pre 10 years ago. Um, pre 10 years ago, it would have been a situation where it's either friends and family, or you're investing your own money, or you're actually using that job as you've outlined, which is, that's your safety net. That's your income as well. You're probably using some of your salary or some of your income to fund the business through the early stages. And really, I guess if I boil it all down, uh, for me, when I started, I would look at my best investor as a customer. You know, somebody's actually going to pay you their money for your product or service. Um, that's the more, that's the greatest validation you can get. Um, and then when you're looking for funding or if you're going to your bank, let's say you start out and you just decide, okay, I'm going to generate some sales. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to use my own resources or I'm going to use family and friends or I'm going to use an incubator um, uh, program to help me to get to that point where I have some sense. Your negotiating ability and your negotiating power has gone up dramatically when you have sales, when you have revenue, when you have income, um, for two reasons. One, you're not completely reliant on your own funds because you've got money coming in. And secondly, if you are going to an investor, if you're going to, um, a, uh, you know, to a bank, then that's what they're going to want to see. They're going to see that the product has been validated. I hear businesses sometimes that are pre-revenue. And for me, it just, it doesn't connect. It doesn't compute. I just don't know how. I've seen situations where venture capital and big chunks of money is given, has been given to businesses because they have their pre or when they are pre-revenue on the expectation that sales and revenue are going to come. Now that to me, as I said, it doesn't compute. I'm very much more traditional. I look at it and I say, if I've got a product or service, I look at it and say, what's the price? Is it going to win? Is it going to beat the competition that's out there? Am I going to have um, a position in the market? Is there a piece of that pie that I can take? And if so, what's it going to take to do it? But typically, you will be able to negotiate a lot better position for yourself if you have sales. And I was asked the question a few years ago as well. And they said, um, what exactly do you think is the most important word uh, in business? And I really think it's sales because without sales, you have an idea. You don't have a business. 
But when you have sales, you have a customer. And when you have a customer, you have a business. That's to me thinking in a, the most rudimentary way. Um, but fundamentally, that's what it's about for me. Awesome. Great advice. So without sales, you have nothing. You, just have, you an have an idea and you have an idea to develop maybe. And let me, let me just kind of correct that a little bit, but you have an idea to develop. You have something that you can build out, but you right. have to be pointing towards sales. You have to say at some stage, we're going to have sales. And before I made part of the evaluation in terms of your customer fit or your customer adaptation or your kind of customer, um, your, your sales potential is to go to, would-be customers on a test marketing basis and say, if I had this at this price, would you buy it? And get a genuine response, you know, not just like, oh yeah, sure, I would. But that's not the same as putting money on the table or, you know, transferring money <laughs> to you for, for, for that product or service. You need to be sure that that is valid information. But yes, sales is super important. The initial stages when you're planning it out, when you're ideation stage or when you're at concept stage, you have to hope that you get sales. But try and take all your boxes properly so that when you do get to a point where you're ready to take off, um, that sales will come uh, thereafter. Because if they don't, and if you don't get sales, then you're consistently spending money and you're consistently burning up um, either investors' money or your money, and uh, the sales might never come around. So I was, uh, I caught, um, thank you, Patrick. I caught uh, somebody, I had, um, had a couple of people on my podcast yesterday uh, and they run a podcast called SB Pace. Uh, it's a podcast specifically for small businesses. But nevertheless, I, I started following them on the social media channels. And I believe I saw either, I think on Instagram or LinkedIn, they posted something about um, like top five reasons why uh, small businesses fail. Um, one, failure to plan. So having not having that roadmap, not having that business plan, like you mm -hmm. articulated so well. Um, the other few kind of escape me, um, but one that resonates the most with me would be um, founder or or you know person in charge burnout, owner burnout, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, which <laughs> I could definitely empathize with. I feel very burned mm -hmm. out uh, with everything else that I have going on. So with that being said, I think also to piggyback on now, it, it resonates. I think there's another one, um, not properly delegating responsibilities, something like that, which I think leads to the burnout because the owner, me in this case, wants to do it all themselves. How do you surround yourself with the right team? The that's, right team. Um, that's, uh, that's a, such an important element of the business as well. In the early stages, you're going to have to do a lot of the, um, Unless you're really lucky, unless you've got co-founders around you, um, then if you're a solo entrepreneur um, and if you're out there lifting and, and starting this yourself from the very beginning, then the spotlight's on you. You've got to do it initially. Now, use friends and resources around you in that situation. They will give you a hand. They will give you help. You know, they, they, it's not, it shouldn't be a super lonely existence, you know, where all the stress and pressure is on one person. You should just use friends that have the skills that you think you might need. And even if they're just sounding boards, you know, even if you're just sharing information, it gets it out of your own mind, you know, it gets it in front of somebody else and they can give you a second opinion. Um, and if somebody's giving you a second or third opinion, really take time to listen. Because I know when I started out that I was so super busy 
that I would get in, I'd run into a meeting and there's like three or four people around the table and I'd go, okay, I've got three minutes here, guys. I've got to get this done. I've got to get out because I have to be in place B and place C by four o'clock today. And I just wasn't listening in the, in the early stages. You know, I was kind of saying, okay, well, did I actually take that in properly? Now, there's two advantages of listening properly. One, you're actually gathering the information. You're, you're taking it in. And two, you're giving the, the person giving you, that is giving you the information, the respect and the time to take notice of what they're saying. And that's super important. It's not just about like saying, yeah, thanks very much and walk away. It's listening, actually take it in. Because you never know when a nugget is going to come your way. You know, um, when one of those pieces of information that you may have missed is going to be super important to your direction or where you're going in the business. Let me ask you a question specifically about team. When you get to a point of validation, let's call it, and that you have a business and you know you have a business, and bringing that down to um, reality and saying, I need more people, that's the key decision because the people that you choose uh, sometimes are going to direct, at least direct the pace and the success of the early stages of the business. So is there a formula? There's a question that, that there's two routes that I would have taken. One is the typical HR hiring process where you're actually looking at a resume and you're looking at the, 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 the experience of the person um, or the uh, achievements of the person. But there's also a very important aspect that I use, and that's the personal factor, the personality factor. If we were at a situation where I was hiring somebody very important to the business, particularly in the early stages, I would say, okay, I'm pretty much 90% sure this is the right person, but I need to go for a coffee with them. I need to sit, I need to talk, I need to have a chat. It's not an interview, it's a chat. Um, who are you as a person? What do you want to do? Are you on the side of the business? Are you 100% behind it? Because in a startup, unless you're 100% behind, unless the team is 100% behind, you're always going to be you're not going to be, it's not going to be a streamlined or smooth. So really the other two things. Yes, it's about resume. It's about experience. It's about achievement. But secondly, I think it's about personality and fishing out and figuring out that personality fit is very important because I think when you have a team, they need to fit together like a, like a jigsaw, you know, the pieces need to fit perfectly in, in, in some sense. Now I'm not saying everybody's going to be getting on, you know, super well and swimmingly all the time. But in reality, um, if you can make that team fit and you're pointing towards the same goal and the leader of the business then has a function, which is to point towards that goal. We have to get there by the end of the year. That's our target. That's our aim. Let's all, you know, push together to get there. Um, and that's the motivation factor. So there's many, many pieces to get in the team um, and finding the right team. Um, but it is extremely important to get right. Well, thank you. Uh, again, Patrick, your insight is invaluable. Um, second time around, uh, better than the first time around uh, having you on the show. Uh, so as always, appreciate your time here. Uh, again, I want to thank Patrick Noel Daly uh, for his time this morning. Can't wait to have him back on the show. Uh, I hope my students took away something from this because I sure as hell did. So thank you for your insight, Patrick. Uh, any final, sure, sure. any final parting um, words here in the next thirty seconds? No, literally, as my book says, as I brought up 
brought the book out about a year, year and a half gone. That thankfully it's doing well and people are finding it useful. And um, it just it says just start up. Um, and I think the the first step is the key step. Uh, if you get to a stage where you find that your initial idea is not what you thought it was going to be, be brave enough to say no. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to go with that because another idea will come to you. Another business will cross your your radar. Um, but enthusiasm and driving that forward is our job as founders, I guess, our primary job. And um, if you do decide to start up, I wish you well. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. So again, check out the book, Just Start Up, A Guide to Building Startups. That's Patrick Noel Bailey. And this is your host, Wandy, signing off. God bless.